<laughs> yeah, this is just tea. I had I already had my coffee, so yeah, I'm kind of sad too. But missing on something warm. I'm just sipping on my electrolytes now, and it's cold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I saw on your posts, you typically will start the day off with your your greens, right? Protein shake, electrolytes, probiotic, and then you wait <laughs> 90 minutes or something like that. Um, so before you have your yeah, breakfast, or? if I'm being optimal, technically I'll have like my, my scoop of protein, uh, and with my morning, like vitamins and such and a <laughs> uh, scoop of glutamine, a little apple cider vinegar, uh, greens. I've been pretty good about my actual veggie intake. So I've been trying to save money on that. But like, mm-hmm. personally, I, I try to not get supplements, keyword supplement, unless my diet's missing it. Mm-hmm. But, um, definitely the glutamine, apple cider vinegar raw and filtered uh mm. with my morning uh vitamins probiotic yeah let that coat my gut lining before i have anything else then i have nice <laughs> beautiful yeah i feel like a lot of people miss that first step and they go straight to the coffee mm-hmm. without kind of like getting this their regular hydration and their minerals and their probiotics and whatnot um so to ask you i'm not I'm not sure about the the green supplement. Like, do you find that to be helpful for people, or is it just like a kind of a glorified multivitamin? Um, I find it helpful for those who refuse to meet the micronutrient uh, and fibrous intake um, in their daily diet from the whole food. Um, mm-hmm. So it's a good way to again supplement what is missing in the diet. Or I have had clients where uh, they are in a kind of like an elimination protocol where they really struggle to process whole food fiber um, and whole food like uh, fruit and veg. So that's usually when I recommend just getting a little shot of it in the morning so it's easy to absorb and digest just to reduce the strain and like the workload that is required to break it down. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense because, yeah, a lot of people assume like – like greens or vegetables and, and fruits or something that they need to eat. But if they have a bunch of already kind of gut issues, maybe eating more greens and fruits can make, make things even worse in some cases. It just depends, right? Cause like the goal is to be able to build up the tolerance to have it again, just because mm-hmm. like the whole food variety is so much better for the gut. Um, yeah. And also just for balancing out your hormones, balancing out your cholesterol, like you actually do want to have whole food fibrous, um, fiber food from like whole food sources from like your fruit and your veggies. It's just if they're in a more of a chronically inflamed state, then initially it kind of uh, makes it uh, worse. Yeah, yeah, makes makes sense. So, who, how did you kind of get into understanding digestive health, and like what are some of your your certifications? Because I I did see a lot of like comments or lots of likes from. Dr. Dwayne Jackson, who I know is like a PhD in nutrition, and like he kind of specializes in gut health. So have you learned from him or do you have any other kind of resources that you've learned all your knowledge from? Uh, Dr. Jackson, uh, he and I do talk every now and then. Um, he is an amazing resource for literally anything holistic health, in my opinion. Um, yeah. Just given uh, his background, I believe he studied, oh my God, Dwayne, if you're listening to this, I apologize if I got your credentials wrong. But um, I believe he uh, studied like nutritional physiology, like he ran his own lab. Like, if you want to know anything regarding just about anything holistic health related, whether it be gut health, hormone health, anything in regards to how uh, nutritional interventions affect it, he's your go-to guy. He does have a gut health course that he recently uh, started uh, in the last, I believe, few months. Um, I did not join this month's intake, but I do wish to take it just to see his point of view on things in regards to gut health. Mm-hmm. Um, but with my certifications, um, I just have a, I have a nutrition coaching certification. I have a hormone health nutrition certification. Um, and then I've also just taken some supplementary, just side, like continuing education courses on my own. Mm-hmm. And then not to mention, I just do tons of research. I learn just with practice as well with each individual client um like i have no problem saying i do not know every single thing that there is to know about the gut there's so much to learn about it there are like trillions of different types of 
like bacterial cells that reside in the gut, all of which that have different functions. Everybody has their own different number that is going to accommodate with their their body size, their metabolic functions that need to be met, uh, their hormone functions that need to be met because gut bacteria do play a role in um, hormone functions, especially like your serotonin, your dopamine that are secreted in your gut. It also plays a role in um, balancing your cholesterol. It plays a role in like your uh, healthy bacteria to unhealthy bacteria like balance. So Mm -hmm. it's, there's just so much like knowledge that I'm still learning as I go here. But I have had quite a few cases where um, I have just had the client, like I know when to refer out to a naturopath where I have collaborated uh, on a couple cases with the naturopath where I kind of help uh, the client understand what the naturopath is getting them to do mm-hmm. and ensuring that I administer the nutritional interventions that which are needed to be met. That's also kind of my inner nursing brain just from working as a nurse for four years mm-hmm. when I would collaborate with the doctors with patient care and ensuring that A, the patient understands what the doctor's communicating to them and B, um, just making sure that they follow said regime. So I found like my nursing practice kind of really translated relatively smoothly into working as uh, more of a holistic kind of nutrition coach. But um, yeah, I think well, does that answer your question? Yeah, definitely. And some. Um, let's talk about like, because a lot of people don't actually understand what is healthy digestion or what is like a healthy digestional tract. And you kind of in just super, uh, super simple terms, just explain to us what is, in your opinion, healthy digestion? No, absolutely. Because the term gut health gets thrown around willy-nilly by some uh, coaches that don't fully understand what they're talking about when it comes to GI health. And it's the clean and cut definition of gut health is the ability of all digestive organs to function and to use them all at like the most optimal states. So that starts with right from your mouth to your esophagus, your stomach, small intestine large intestine all the way out the other end and Mm -hmm. it's determined largely by how you eat how you manage your stress what food sources that you choose to have uh the balance or the harmony of your body's own ecosystem because your your gut is literally just a huge ecosystem that's your Mm -hmm. microbiome comprised of multiple microbiota so a whole bunch of different types of bacteria and we're talking about like trillions here (laughs) And some of which that have yet to be uh, discovered, researched, understood, because new ones keep on popping up, right? Mm-hmm. So the most important uh, takeaway that I want people to understand is that it's in a matter of balancing the different types. There are some that are beneficial, right? There's some beneficial bacteria that helps with your metabolic function, that helps with the hormone balance. Uh, whereas there are others, the unhealthy bacteria, which is the most important thing to watch out for because Mm -hmm. they can take over like weeds in a garden uh, and they give off toxins that which can create inflammation Mm -hmm. and the problem with chronic uh chronic and unmanaged inflammation because there's a difference between acute little bouts of it your body's exposed to inflammation all the time that's another trigger word i find is noticed on the internet Mm -hmm. uh when they people use that term to sound scary and such but it's more so when it's unmanaged that it can create a whole host of issues because if your digestive tract, uh, like your stomach, especially your small intestine, you see that a lot. If those parts are chronically inflamed, mm-hmm. then the barrier that protects your gut from the rest of your bloodstream can mm-hmm. separate a bit and then it can cause leaks and toxins can get into your bloodstream. Mm-hmm. So that's usually called like leaky gut syndrome. It can be micro leaks. It can, where it's like small, subtle, uh, symptoms or it can be rather large leaks with infection and like yeah. worst cases like sepsis and such. So, And what kind of s- symptoms do people experience digestively if you're, you're having these higher levels of inflammation and uh, leakages in the barriers and all, and all those things? Yeah, absolutely. So we can have um, constantly like irregular bowel movements. So it can be constipation dominant, diarrhea dominant, or a mixture of both. Um, it can be even the propensity of being chronically anxious or depressed um, is also linked with uh, disrupted gut health as well. Uh, is that, be- is the- that because of the 
I guess the things being leaked in the bloodstream and then crossing the blood brain barrier or also like the influence on the neurotransmitters in the gut. It's the influence of the neuro uh, neurotransmission through the enteric nervous system, the mm -hmm. brain gut axis specifically. So through the vagus nerve. Yeah. That, yeah that's and that's not so mention, interesting. Yeah. And like the hormones that are emitted by the healthy gut bacteria, like the serotonin dopamine. So like mm -hmm. if your gut uh, has an imbalance of healthy to unhealthy bacteria, you're not really get as much, you're not going to get as much of an emission mm -hmm. of the uh, serotonin and the dopamine. Yep. So if someone comes to you and they're, they're experiencing some of these issues, diarrhea, constipation, irregular, ir irregularity, um, any other sort of digestive kind of issues, how do you start kind of assessing them and putting together a plan to help kind of correct whatever issues they're having? Yeah, I also I also try to look for a few other symptoms as well. Mm -hmm. So um, I look, there's, you're also going to see like skin breakouts, low energy during the day, issues falling asleep, staying asleep. Um, you could even see different areas of inflammation flare up uh, in the body. So it can show up in your joints, your gums, um, breakouts in the skin. And mm -hmm. then for some people, uh, that chronic inflammation, it can cause disruptions of your cortisol levels too. And mm -hmm. a huge sign you can see that is roundness in the face. In Western medicine, we call that the moon face sign. Mm -hmm. is, um, that, uh, is that Cushing's disease? In severe cases, yes, but yeah. even like even before reaching like the medically diagnosable Cushing's, like mm -hmm. you can see this on people even when they're on uh, steroids. Actually, long-term steroid users because that like does prednisone, or are we talking anabolic? Um, no, like anabolic. Okay. Uh, if you if you need a bunch of prednisone as well, though, it's they're relatively similar in terms of how they present with this mm -hmm. um, the round mm -hmm. face sign. But anyway, yeah, just to answer your question in terms of what I would do upon intake. So I get a very thorough uh, food recall. So I get a, an idea of like how much food are we eating a day? What food sources specifically is going to be the number one thing, even yep. more so than how much you're eating, because you're not what you eat. You are what you digest. And the actual specific food sources that you choose is going to determine um, how your gut uh, responds to it. So uh, mm -hmm. if you're eating foods that you are unaware of, that you are intolerant to, that your body identifies as a pathogen, or if yeah. you are eating constantly, these are the, even the bigger rocks like processed foods. If we are eating foods with nitrates in them, things with a million ingredients on the back with you know ingredients you can't pronounce, um, for a lot of people, even uh, artificial sweeteners. Uh, I've had mm -hmm. a few clients where aspartame uh, can absolutely uh, make them crampy, a little bit of bloat, you notice. Mm -hmm. And that... as soon as I get rid of aspartame, it goes away. Yeah. Do you think they're having these intolerances to things like artificial sweeteners and other preservatives because of this, the underlying inflammation? And if you were to correct those issues, those issues would kind of, it would have less troubles dealing with like those little bouts of maybe artificial sweeteners from time to time? In simple cases, yes. But mm -hmm. I think the chronic intake of these foods uh, can cause an imbalance of healthy to unhealthy gut bacteria. Because when you're eating, like especially lots of sugar as well, refined sugars, these processed foods, they can actually feed the unhealthy gut bacteria. Mm -hmm. And as a result of that, that is going to create even more inflammation and more problems. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So I look at what those foods are. And then I start to have a client have a food journal. So mm -hmm. uh, meaning like when they start to um, work with me within the first week or two, like I have them make note of what foods have them at, upon eating them within half an hour to maybe two to four hours later, depending on where the food is in your GI tract. Mm -hmm. It takes two hours for your stomach to empty. So maybe a little bit afterwards, if it's going through your small intestine in particular, you might have inflammation there. So keep an eye on signs such as um, bloat, cramping. And then for some people, the body wants to eliminate it almost right away. And then they're running to the bathroom. So like that, those bouts of diarrhea, because mm -hmm. if you're eating food that your body uh, does not want to digest or identifies the pathogen, is going to be inflamed and just want to eliminate it. Just get rid of it right away. And mm -hmm. that's why if you're chronically inflamed that way, let's say you're eating something healthy that your body can digest, but still inflamed and eating something else that mm -hmm. your body identifies as a pathogen, 
your body's going to want to eliminate everything. And that's yeah. why you're going to see those signs like the low energy because you're not absorbing anything. Right. Yeah. So if you can't absorb anything, it doesn't even matter how, it doesn't matter what macro coach helps you. If they're, if the coach tells you, okay, eat X calories, X protein, uh, X fats, whatever. That's where, this is where macro coaching really meets its limitations is if you mm -hmm. can't uh, actually absorb anything, it doesn't matter how much you eat. And that's kind of why I'm very much into wanting to understand more how the gut works, how to um, really fine tune uh, food choices for my clients. Mm -hmm. Well, this even makes me think of like bodybuilding and a lot of bodybuilders are consuming large and large amounts of calories, six, seven, six, seven thousand calories a day. But in many cases, they have they have a lot of digestive issues. But if you're able to correct some of those digestive issues, have them eat a lot less food, but still have them grow at the same rate in terms of weight gain. For sure. And also like another issue I find with bodybuilding is when you're eating the exact same thing over and over again, you're really limiting the uh, biodiversity of your gut microbiome. Cause like I really encourage my clients to mix up their food choices because each different foods can actually introduce different types of bacteria like of the healthy bacteria mm -hmm. uh, in the microbiome. And the more diversity that you have, the stronger of an immune system you're going to have, mm -hmm. the better ability you're going to have for it to function as yeah. well. And I find with bodybuilders, you eat the exact same thing. And some of them, in some cases, actually build up an intolerance. I find, especially to egg whites, I see that so much because they're used to chugging egg whites. They, I've seen bodybuilders put Mio in a jug of egg whites and they freaking... Mm -hmm chug that shit they build up an intolerance to that or just like mm -hmm. when you said eating thousands and thousands of calories a lot more than the general uh, population does yeah that's a lot of work on the gi tract to digest like a lot of people need to realize it takes work for your body to digest food and sometimes you just need to give it a little bit of a break and let it mm -hmm. clean itself up and that's why having a semblance of a fasting window. I'm not saying aggressive intermittent fasting protocols by any means, but like a 10 to 12 hour fasting window, you actually are giving your digestive system a break to reduce inflammation, clean itself up before you reintroduce food into it again. Mm -hmm. Definitely. That makes sense. Um, let's I like so far, like the reason why I brought you on today is because you like in your Instagram handle, it says, I put out dumpster fires of hormone and digestive dysregulation with simple solutions that don't break the bank. So, so far you've, you've been talking about gut health and not once have you mentioned supplements. Um, in many cases, you'll work with coaches that kind of specialize or claim to be kind of gut, gut gurus. The first thing they they have their clients do is follow like a long list of supplements. Um, but in your experience, do you find that you need to get address the root cause with some of the things that we've been talking about. Number I one. I think to start off, yeah, like start off specifically with the foods that you're introducing to your body every day. Supplements mm -hmm. do have a place. Uh, personally, my uh, rule of thumb, if a client is uh, being presented to me in a very chronically inflamed state, uh, the very first thing to do is to eliminate the inflammation, like you said, through the root cause with the food choices that we're having. Mm -hmm. Once the inflammation goes down, you do supplements can help with reinforcing the healing of the gut lining to reduce those leaks, close up the gaps, that kind of thing. I do find mm -hmm. there are some supplements that do uh, help with that. I've had clients that have worked with naturopaths to recommend those supplements. The only ones that mm -hmm. I have prescribed for some people, um, glutamine is a huge one. Uh, it's amino acid that gets eaten up very quickly uh, in the GI tract uh, when you are chronically inflamed. It's the first one that gets metabolized. So that's mm -hmm. usually when I have them take a couple doses a day, like 10 grams a couple times a day on average, usually is what mm -hmm. I uh, recommend. Um, but then otherwise, there are a few other uh, supplements out there uh, that naturopaths might recommend, like one or two, nothing crazy. I think it's a red flag if you're given a whole grocery list of them. Um, you don't need much. Otherwise, just help your body help itself is mm -hmm. kind of my mantra. What do you, what do you think is the main cause of all these kind of gut dysregulations beyond be kind of some of the more processed based foods that people are eating? So shitty diets. Like what else is what is else is causing these issues for people? Because it seems like it's quite prevalent in kind of modern times. 
Uh, yeah. So aside from the food choices, um, there's a, there's, I think there's a mental health aspect to it that's causing inflammation, but also additionally pharmaceuticals mm-hmm. is a huge one. So let's, I've had, let's, go into, let's go into the mental health piece first. Okay. What do you mean by so that? Mental, yeah. So like just the chronic anxiety, like chronically unmanaged anxiety. So as we talked about, there's that direct connection with your nervous system to your GI tract, the gut health, the, the brain gut access, right? Mm-hmm. If you're chronically anxious and in that mini fight or flight mode, like in the autonomic nervous system, it bifurcates into two subtypes, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a fight or flight side and then there's a rest and digest side. So if we're chronically mm-hmm. anxious and in that fight or flight, okay, then we're not going to have much opportunity to get into the rest and digest. Rest and digest needs to be activated in order for there to be adequate peristalsis, the movement of your GI organs. So if we're not managing our stress, then it's going to be very difficult or your GI organs are going to have very little inclination to want to move. It's just going to be stagnant and not moving which mm-hmm. can cause that constipation or just, hey, we have all this shit sitting inside of us. Let's just eliminate it and not really worry about absorbing it because we're too stressed out to think about absorbing this food right now. That's kind of mm-hmm. how I uh, describe it to my clients. Mm-hmm. So that's a huge one uh, for sure. And how do, we, how do we get that person out of that, that state? What are some of your go-tos for that? Ooh. Um, yeah, so this is going to be a matter of regulating how much stimulation your nervous system is exposed to. I think we are in a very chronically overstimulated society. So really managing how much of a workload that you take on in a day, learning, you know, just getting your butt outside even and getting some sunshine. Like we're very uh, underexposed to that as well. Mm -hmm. Um, We're very vitamin D depleted, uh, which is a huge mood regulator. So Mm -hmm. I, uh, try to help my clients and I calculate based off of their weight, how much vitamin D to be taking in a day. Um, especially if we are low in sunshine, like at this time of the year during the winter, but otherwise I do encourage, like in my, I have a daily habits form that my clients fill out each day. And one of them is, did you get at least 30 minutes of sunshine today or have them check that off? Um, but additionally I, I do overconsumption of, um, like social media where you're kind of living your life through a screen doesn't exactly help and also uh when it comes to uh like your cortisol curve regulation that very much affects that too Mm -hmm. so if we are staring at a screen all the time before bed we're going to be delaying when melatonin gets introduced because cortisol and melatonin share an inverse relationship so not regulating your cortisol curve is going to be difficult and specifically for regulating cortisol curve as well uh, a few tips I give people like from a nutritional standpoint as well is being very conscientious of something like simple, small things like timing your carb intake really helps regulate your cortisol curve. So mm-hmm. if you are, uh, if you're working out in the morning, then I usually find it's cool to have some carbs and protein before and after your workout. But if you're not going to be working out uh, at all that day or not until later in the day, I actually prefer to wait before I have a high glycemic index meal or a starchy carb until later in the day to maintain that healthy, high cortisol level. Mm-hmm. And then I usually time my starchier uh, carbs for like middle of the day to beginning of the evening to help mm-hmm. maintain that uh, regulation of starting to bring down the cortisol. And then that'll actually really help maintain it going to its dip, which will bring up your melatonin. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Just yeah. before we keep on going, so essentially what you're saying is when you eat carbohydrates, you have that spike in blood blood sugar levels, right? Mm-hmm. Which then subsequently has a drop in the cortisol, but you want the cortisol to be elevated kind of within the morning hours upon yeah. waking up until about noon? Yes, you want it to be elevated. Cortisol, it does have a function. You need it to help maintain like your energy levels and your ability to focus, that kind of thing during the mm-hmm. day. But then as the day tapers off, and if we're chronically stimulated with work with stress maybe working out and if we're under consuming on our carbs or just overall calories in general for that matter mm-hmm. then the cortisol is not going to take that proper dip that it needs in order for you to be able to wind down for the day mm-hmm. gotcha so well, that's that's, that's some, yeah some definitely some very interesting stuff um i want to talk about you kind of mentioned a little bit about the the sunlight the sun exposure i think that's such an important piece that people miss um, because in the northern hemisphere, we're in Canada, we don't get a whole lot of sunlight. 
in these winter months. We get some, but not not a ton like we do in the summers. Do you believe that someone should alter their their nutritional intakes or the, the, the foods that they're consuming based on the weather the weather patterns and the sunlight exposure? Um, like eating uh, more to, to eating extent, more seasonally. Yes. To an extent, yes. Um, I do find that uh, there is a connection between insulin sensitivity um, and sunlight exposure. So when there is less sunlight exposure, uh, you might not need as much uh, starchy or high glycemic index carbs because you're not going to be quite as um, efficient with that uh, uptake in glucose in your bloodstream. This is where I really uh, encourage um, carb intake to be more so from maybe a bit more of the fiber side of things. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's where I usually recommend like females to try to aim for about 30 grams of fiber a day and males like 40 plus grams of fiber a day. Mm -hmm. Um, That's usually when we are in a much more of a sleepy state enough as it is too. So definitely I, I do find there is that correlation. Yeah, for myself, someone who's had digestive issues in the past, I feel like for my one of the biggest game changers for for me was during the winter months, less sunlight, getting away from more of a kind of just like the simple, simple rice, simple starches and going more towards the fibers, vegetables, the potatoes, sweet potatoes, butternut squash like that made such a profound difference on my gut health and also just the variety, like you mentioned before. Yeah. That's, I know 100% absolutely um, I can concur with that as well mm-hmm. uh, I also find I'm learning a bit more about this but there has been some evidence uh, behind like your uh, body likes to uh, acclimate to like foods that are kind of like in season as well mm-hmm. it's just really interesting how your body is actually picking up on these things internally that you don't actually realize so one mm-hmm. of my favorite fibrous uh, foods I like to have during the winter are usually anything from the squash family. These are always in season. I didn't realize that they were in season, mm-hmm. but I always just found that I had a craving for squashes during <laughs> the winter. And then I found this out and I'm like, oh shit, that's yeah. weird. So like listening to that, I find is uh, interesting as well. Yeah. It's even the fact that like, like the sun is essentially a signal. It's telling our body what the environment's like. So if we're giving our body foods that wouldn't necessarily be able to grow or prosper in these environments, there's kind of a disalignment between the two. And I just feel like there's there's something going on in terms of just causing some sort of dysregulation in the gut, in the brain, just kind of systemically. Yeah, 100%. Um and then I also wanted to talk a little about a bit about another issue I find, uh, another reason why we are very disrupted and dysregulated with our gut. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, Western medicine has a place, but re- managing your gut after you have a stay in the hospital is very important. So mm-hmm. a lot of drugs uh, that pharmaceuticals prescribe, uh, like antibi- uh, antibiotics especially, as well as uh, proton pump inhibitors, uh, pantoprazole, um, mm-hmm. or like NSAIDs. So those are non-steroid anti-inflammatory drugs. So that's stuff mm-hmm. like um, stuff like ibuprofen. Like when those drugs are abused in and out of the hospital, uh, different a few things happen here. So with the antibiotics, if you need to take antibiotics, you got to take them sometimes. You know, if you have an infection, you got to kill off the infection. But the problem is, it's very important to rebalance your gut after. Uh, or even during, there's literature that backs up when you take antibiotics to taking probiotics in concurrence with it to help maintain that uh, bacterial balance because antibiotics tend to wipe out good and bad gut bacteria. Mm-hmm. And if you do not uh, supplement some probiotic with that antibiotic regime, I've had several, like I've lost count cases in the hospital where when all good gut bacteria is gone, um, C. diff, uh, C. difficile, the type of bacteria, mm-hmm. uh, they, uh, we've had so many different admissions with C. diff. Uh, it literally just manifests as, this is not going to be pretty, but it's like, there is a very distinct smell of just pure liquid diarrhea, like mm-hmm. 20 plus times a day. Mm-hmm. And we have to, it, it is very important to prevent that from happening. 
So that's why it's when really that, important. When yeah. someone gets C. diff and they go to the hospital, what is the kind of procedure for those people? Do they repopulate the gut? Are they giving them immune modulators or what's the, what do they do? Um, they just put them on another antibiotic. <laughs> Usually vancomycin. Um, it can be administered either IV or we give in like oral liquid. Um, sometimes if they have troubles taking anything orally. Um, we've had some patients where they're unable to swallow anything. And like we, we collaborate with multiple professionals in the hospital, right? Um, they've had to take it rectally. Mm -hmm. But what it does is it helps kill off the C. diff. But mm -hmm. yeah, so it's just more then, of that. And, and then, 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 you have, yeah. then you have nothing left at all. You have no bacteria. Which is why we need to work on maintaining that balance and repopulating in concurrence with the antibiotic use. So let's say that someone is using antibiotics. What types of foods should we be eating during these phases where we are taking these antibiotics to help with the gut health? Uh, fermented foods are your absolute best friend here. So mm -hmm. uh, my favorite fermented food I like to have is kimchi. I have it every single day. Um, but you can do kimchi, sauerkraut, uh, kefir, um, apple cider vinegar with the mother at the bottom. That's a probiotic rich, that little sediment at the bottom. You yep. get like the Bragg's brand. Um, and then that also uh, helps with anything the... fermented, like, uh, fermented, fermented soy is okay. And miso. What were you going to say? Um, the, I saw some posts where you talked about the apple cider vinegar also being good for protein digestion. And specifically, does it increase stomach acid or what's going on there? Um, fermented foods uh, do. Uh, I, I like kimchi, especially for this. Uh, mm -hmm. I think it's a bit more potent than apple cider vinegar. But in general, these fermented foods, uh, they essentially increase enzyme activity in breaking down protein. Gotcha. So gotcha. I'm a huge fan of that. So for clients that are new to eating more protein, some clients might have troubles with digesting more protein than they're used to or more fiber for that matter than they're used to. So um, I like little tools uh, like probiotics to help break down that increase of protein. Mm -hmm. um, on the topic of probiotics, do you do you typically stick to just food-based probiotics or are there, are there times where you're introducing some sort of like higher bacterial count supplement probiotic? For myself, personally, if you're just in a maintenance of just trying to maintain that healthy gut uh, flora, I find just fermented food intake should be enough. Mm -hmm. um, the high-potency pill form, I would take more so uh, if you are on an active regime of antibiotics, then you might need more of a higher potency because more of the healthy gut bacteria is going to be wiped out mm -hmm. by the antibiotics. Um, or additionally, I think the only other person I would uh, people that I would think about in taking um, probiotics a bit more actively is there are just some people that are a bit more uh, highly uh, prone to inflammation. So if you have a history of autoimmunity, like autoimmune disorders, I would mm -hmm. also take a higher dose uh, probiotic. Yeah. Is there any strands in, in particular that you're looking for for those types of people? Or does it just really depend on the individual and kind of experimenting with different kinds? It would be dependent on the individual for like the strain. This is where I would uh, like refer out and ask because I don't know all of the types of bacteria. Mm -hmm. So this is where I would like collaborate with a naturopath. Like I know my limitations in my silver practice. I do not mm -hmm. know every single type of bacteria. And it's, it's broken down like freaking according to genotypes genomes and such like there's a whole map of them mm -hmm. so this is where i would collaborate with a functional nutritionist or um and i'm friends with a few or i would uh i've had a couple of clients where i collaborated with a naturopath but in terms of you can take dosaging in terms of um uh it's based off of a functional unit of billions of cfu mm -hmm. so uh you just want to ensure that it's a high quality type that is put in the fridge if you see a probiotic that is on the shelf in room temperature, it's not good quality. You want to ensure that it's from the fridge because it is supposed to be live bacteria, right? Mm -hmm. And some clients uh, might not have a tolerance of being able to take in as much uh, probiotic initially at first. And you might mm -hmm. need to start off lower dose and titrate up the dose to a higher dose. So mm -hmm. sometimes if you're newly introducing probiotics to your body, you might get a little bit of bloat when you first take them. 
Mm-hmm. So uh, ideally, like you want to be taking 50 plus billion CFU of a probiotic, but some people might need to start off with like a lower dose of 20 and then titrate up. And then mm-hmm. I think the highest I've seen someone take is about 120 billion. Yeah. There's a time there where I was, I was experimenting with 450 billion. Yes. So it was like the Viz Biome brand. Mm-hmm. And like it's delivered in this like concealed container, like an ice pack, and it's all like really professionally done. And yeah, that was too much. So did I you think, feel a little bit bloaty, or how'd you feel? I felt I just had some my digestion kind of just had kind of took a turn for the worse for a couple of days. Um, I did pull back to about 100, 120 billion, and like like you said, the body accustomed to that dose. But I think the biggest thing here is just like quality over quantity it's not necessarily the the number it's about the different strains and um where your 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 gut is currently so it's about i think what you said kind of finding some sort of balance between the good and the bad yeah and like learning how to listen to your body is the most important thing that's why like upon intake of a new client with suspected digestive trouble or honestly just about any of my clients like i do encourage that they uh make note of foods that uh, they feel like their body doesn't agree with, even with the more subtle symptoms, like just like mild cramping or just feeling um, like lower energy. Those are usually signs that your body's not exactly responding quite well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for clients that I'm suspecting like a bit of a trend on quite a few foods, that's where I like to suggest they take a full spectrum food intolerance test mm-hmm. because, and there's a difference, right, between a food allergy test and a food intolerance test. And a lot of people uh, don't know the difference between those two. So like mm-hmm. a food allergy test is usually just a blood test that Western medicine can take, but that's like on the very aggressive side of the spectrum. Food intolerance is more in the middle side of the spectrum where it can cause varying levels of even microinflammation. And those microinflammations can build up over time. And when it's especially if they're eating like multiple sources of food that they don't even know what they're intolerant to. Mm-hmm. In um, in your practice, is there like any common themes around certain foods that are kind of more more problematic for people, or is it kind of de- depend? Um, yeah. So like a lot of forms of gluten uh, can definitely have people feeling inflamed uh, from like the unfermented, uh, overly processed uh, carbs, or for some people, dairy, uh, unfermented soy. And then some people do have aversions to uh, things like eggs or shellfish, shellfish, uh, peanuts, Mm -hmm. different types of nuts. Things that tend to have a higher ratio of omega-6s as well can cause, uh, it is more of a pro-inflammatory. And I find that tends to, I've seen a few like food intolerance test results and I I have seen those more of those omega-6 foods tend to spike up the inflammatory markers when I'm looking over the results with them. Mm-hmm. And what's the, uh, what's the name of like the, the food intolerance test that you would run with your clients? Uh, it's just an electro an electrodermal full spectrum uh, food intolerance test. So that's mm-hmm. usually where um, you can order it online or it can be ordered by uh, usually a naturopathic doctor. Gotcha. Um, with the, the people uh, having issues with the dairy in particular, do you believe that's because there's just a lack of enzymes in the dairy that are kind of, they're naturally occurring, but when it becomes pasteurized, you kind of lose out on those things? I Yes, because I find uh, I have yet to see many clients have an issue with proper raw unpasteurized milk. Mm-hmm. Like, again, it's it, there's a correlation between foods that have been overly processed, uh, like overly pasteurized, all of those things. Mm-hmm. That's what the body is not appreciating it's like why can't we just have this food in its raw form there i yeah, do yeah. find i'm noticing that correlation absolutely yeah with um the most people tolerate kind of yogurts fine though because the the added probiotics um i haven't if it's like like raw yogurt or mm-hmm. um i haven't had too many clients have an issue with greek yogurt mm-hmm um uh, but yeah I, I would agree uh there are some of like the vat free yogurt are no go because they tend to be packed with sugars and additives. Mm-hmm. So I am uh, a fan of, again, just having the yogurt in its true form. Yeah, definitely. And then you can add add other things to it to kind of flavor yeah. honey and, and berries and, what, and whatnot. 
Yeah. Or like if you're trying to be lower on your carb intake uh, and trying to minimize like um, that type of sugar, uh, mm-hmm. honey, I am a huge fan of honey, but like if you're trying to lower that, then just like natural, Jesus, natural sweetness. So I do, I am a fan of stevia, erythritol or monk fruit. Mm-hmm. Those tend to not cause any issues on people's guts. No, I've mm-hmm. never seen an issue on guts for people with that. Nice. Um, do you ever have your clients do, I believe it's like a, the stool test where it like shows all the different species, if there's any issues with um, the bad bacteria versus the good bacteria. And do you find that to be helpful if you do? A GI map test is what you're a referring GI map, to. Yeah. Yes. Um, I've had a couple where I've had them, uh, I've referred them out to a naturopath and I've said, please ask them for a mm-hmm. GI map test. Um, I have yet to learn how to read a GI map test. It actually is a very comprehensive test that it is next on my list to learn how to read and interpret. But yes, for clients where we're really struggling uh, to get down to figuring out what's going on with the bacteria, because there's only so much information you can work off of, even with the full spectrum food intolerance test and being mindful of those things. If you're still seeing signs of inflammation, it could be uh, signs of an unhealthy bacteria balance. And that goes back to my er, my earlier point where I'm like, I don't know every single type of the millions of bacteria that there are. And that's where that uh, GI map test can kind of help a client's uh, work with a naturopath or with a uh, functional nutritionist who has that in their scope of practice to -hmm. understand how to read the GI map test and figure out specifically what bacteria is imbalanced and how to address it specifically bacteria to bacteria. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I find kind of the GI map to be somewhat problematic compared to it's kind of compared to a MRI. Like if someone may not have any symptoms at all, but let's say that they do a GI map and it comes back with all these red flags, right? Some of the bad bacteria are high. There's lots of reds on their paper, but they're feeling fine. It could be the same thing with an MRI. Like someone has a bunch of herniated discs, a bunch of bulges, but like their lower back feels fine. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's kind of the differentiation, right? When you hear that yeah. trigger word of inflammation, like there's, there's sometimes there are small issues that are there that the body's like, you know what, it's manageable, we can deal with this. Mm-hmm. So that's why you need to kind of take any kind of test with a grain of salt and compare it to symptoms and how you're feeling as well. Yeah, it kind of um, refers back to what you talked about at the start of the of the podcast about like the individuality of their the gut microbiome. There might not be a perfect or optimal microbiome. It's going to be different for everyone based on different times of the years, activity levels, stress levels, nutritional intake, all those things, right? Yeah, and like there's, it's like yin and yang. There's a little bit of bad with a little bit of good kind of thing and just as mm-hmm. long as it's, it's like that garden analogy i made earlier like there might be a couple weeds in your garden but they may not necessarily be out of control per se right and if, if it's out of control and taken over the garden okay then then we got problems yeah in the i listened to a podcast you probably heard this one too of dr Dwayne jackson where he talked about like he uses the garden analogy but it's like you may have some weeds in your garden however if you have a big thick full lawn full of like prosperous flowers the impact of those weeds is going to be a lot less versus a garden that has a lot less of the good flowers and grass and whatnot exactly like it doesn't have to be perfectly pretty right it doesn't have Mm -hmm. to be only only flowers and no weeds as Mm -hmm. long as those weeds aren't taking over as long as you have those healthy like flowers if you have more of those then Mm -hmm. we're in good shape yeah so we've talked a lot about kind of probiotics what we haven't discussed is prebiotics what is Mm -hmm. a what's the difference between a prebiotic and a probiotic Probiotic. yeah so probiotic is literally uh, it it is an actual microbe it is healthy bacteria that is being taken um exogenously or that which reside in your gut versus Mm -hmm. a prebiotic uh these are usually foods uh these usually come from your uh fibrous foods Mm -hmm. these are essentially what feed the healthy gut bacteria that's like what you it's like if, if we're using if we're maintaining sticking to the garden analogy, right? Your healthy bacteria are these healthy flowers, right? And like the fertilizer, the water, the sunlight is fueling these flowers. Mm-hmm. That's what prebiotics do. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be coming mostly from our fibrous foods. Is that or what's the main yeah. source of our prebiotic? Yeah, like fruit, veggies, and diver- and diversifying what they are, right? Mm-hmm. 
So, cause they all do provide their own list of nutrients. So I try to diversify the colors of my veggies, the colors of my fruit, uh, and the sources. Um, there are a few staple ones that I do like to have just based off of the properties. I know that they possess. Um, so like when it comes to like when I'm picking, when I'm picking my produce, I do try to follow the clean 15 dirty dozen rule. Mm-hmm. So the clean 15, uh, these are produce, uh, if you don't get it organic, you're still not going to have as much exposure to pesticides. They tend to either have a shell or skin or like a peel that mm-hmm. you can peel off. That isn't necessarily, there isn't really that much pesticide exposure to because pesticide can also cause a lot of unmanaged, uh, inflammation mm-hmm. in the body. So this is stuff like oranges, citrus fruits, melons, uh, like kiwis, mangoes, bananas, uh, mm-hmm. Root veggies are usually fine. And then the dirty dozen are uh, more so things like apples, grapes, things that don't have a shell to protect it from. Those are the kind of things you usually want to get organic. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know about you, but like I can literally taste the pesticide in like standard apples. Ever since mm-hmm. I went organic, I can't go back. Like it's I've just ne- little I've, things like that. I've never been, able, I've never actually thought of that, but like, Imagine there is a subtle taste difference between organic versus non-organic because it's of the pesticides. It's just bitter and sour, and it just tastes disgusting. Mm-hmm. And we're is, not meant to ingest pesticides. Yeah. Is there is there a way that you can remove the pesticide on the outside of the fruit with maybe some <laughs> apple cider vinegar or something along those lines? I've heard of that helping that and just like thoroughly washing your produce. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there is that rationale uh, where some can still like soak through and into the actual fruit as well mm-hmm. it's not like it's just sitting on the surface it actually can absorb but yes you can if you were, if we are very thorough and wish to take the time then yes mm-hmm. i have heard of that being of benefit <laughs> yeah there's only so much time in a day right so exactly let's talk about um a little bit about ppis because a lot of a lot more and more people these days who are suffering from heartburn, acid reflux, they're just prescribed a PPI from their, their, their physician. And you antacids. Ex- yeah. Antacids. Can you explain to us um, what's going on, number one, with kind of people who are having acid reflux? Yeah. And then what is the PPI doing? Yeah. So PPIs, they are in, West, in the Western medicine world, PPIs are an amazing tool in situations where a patient i literally this is i think well over half of the patients that i dealt with in the four years i worked as a nurse in in, in the internal medicine world uh so ppis it's a proton pump inhibitor okay so when you are inflamed and you have and if you were to come to the hospital with an ulcer okay we need to reduce how much hydrogen ions are being secreted in the walls of your gi uh gi tract Okay, mm-hmm. hydrogen ions, uh, they are protons because they have a positive, they're, they're positive, uh, whatever chemistry term, my brain's not working. Mm-hmm. But anyways, the uh, PPI, pantoprazole, okay, we give a continuous infusion of it and it stops that uh, release of the hydrogen. Mm-hmm. And that is what literally I've seen quick turnaround in these patients, like 24 to 48 hours. And they come in and like some of them, are bleeding and they, they've lost these amount of blood. So we give them a few bags of uh, red blood cells in concurrence with a continuous infusion of uh, the pantoprazole that we mix. Mm-hmm. Okay. So in that case, absolutely. I'm very much pro PPIs. The only problem is that I think Western medicine has now gone overboard and prescribing it orally for people to take long-term when they see any kinds of inflammation, not just an ulcer. So if they're seeing uh, inflammation, usually with like IBS, IBD, Western mm-hmm. medicine, like I can understand the rationale. They think, okay, this will bring down the inflammation. But if you're taking it long term, uh, it actually tends to cause the opposite effect <laughs> and cause more inflammation because you're not supposed to take it long term. Mm-hmm. It's the only problem. Yeah. So that's, I've seen that a lot where I, I've had clients come to me having taken pantoprazole orally like every day for weeks and months at a time. Mm-hmm. So that's that's where it becomes an issue. <laughs> isn't isn't in many cases the the low I guess the the acid reflux or the heartburn is caused from a faulty kind of closure of that esoph- esophageal valve from lower stomach acid? 
Yeah. So low stomach acid levels absolutely can be caused by over intake of because antacids are if we're, if we're using chemistry, right? Antacids mm -hmm. are basic in nature, mm -hmm. right? So if we're constantly taking these uh, supplements, medication that are basic in nature, it's going to throw off the pH balance in your stomach. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's going to reduce stomach acid that is being produced and mm -hmm. hydrogen ions, right? You need those to be produced, hence, henceforth, because proton pump inhibitors stop those or reduce how much hydrogen ions are being produced, mm -hmm. right? Is going to uh, reduce how much acid is being secreted as a result. Yep. Again, like you, you want to temporarily reduce how much acid is being produced if you're like having an active bleed. Mm -hmm. But that then afterwards, you want to go back into that homeostasis of having the healthy acid levels. So mm -hmm. that's why you're not supposed to be taking pantoprasa long term. Yeah, it's just more of an acute thing. Yeah, just a quickie here. Let's fix that. Okay, now yeah. let the stomach go back to doing its thing and producing stomach acid. So the, obviously there's like a connection between the stomach and the gut, but do you have like a separate treatment plan for people with more of the kind of low stomach acid issues? Or do you have some interventions to help kind of address that? Or do you have to like address the entire gut and then the stomach usually corrects itself naturally as well? Um, I do have a couple supplementations. It's nothing crazy. Uh, mm -hmm. You can take hydrochloric acid ex uh, externally. Mm -hmm. So you can supplement hydrochloric acid, or you can also supplement with apple cider vinegar, vinegar either mm -hmm. or. Um, if your stomach acid production is insanely low, then like two or three times a meal, uh, two or three times a day with meals, mm -hmm. uh, you want to be taking hydrochloric acid or uh, apple cider vinegar mm -hmm. to help you uh, break down those foods in your stomach. For someone who's consuming a lot of food and a lot of protein, um, would you recommend that they take more of the I guess more betaine HCL over the course of a day with each meal, or like how does someone determine the right amount of supplementation that they need? It depends on how easy it is to break down the individual protein. Mm -hmm. So if it's a white meat versus the red meat, mm -hmm. red meat takes a lot more work to break down mm -hmm. than white meats do. White meat being like poultry, fish, etc. That's a lot easier to break down versus like a hunk of steak. Yeah. So if you don't really have that much red meat, and I do for I try to encourage as many of my clients as possible to eat red meat just because it is so freaking nutrient dense. It's just, if they're not used to digesting it, that's a lot of work. So supplementing with maybe a little bit more of uh, that absinthe vinegar or hydrochloric acid will help really break that down. Additionally, yep. if they are still struggling to have a hunk of meat, then let's downgrade. Okay, maybe at least ground beef. It's already started to be broken up mm -hmm. for you right? Mm -hmm. Then that'll be less work. So kind of seeing like what form you can still get those essential nutrients in. Mm -hmm. Yep. Makes sense. And I guess the same would apply to digestive enzymes, just depending on the amount of digestion that's, re that's required. That's when you kind of determine whether or not you should implement a digestive enzyme. A uh, digestive enzyme, I would more so be depending on what we're trying to digest and what we're mm -hmm. having issues digesting. And that mm -hmm. depends on a whole host of other comorbidities keep in mind mm -hmm. so excuse me if a client has issues for example like with their liver so like western medicine loves to remove gallbladders when a person has <laughs> gallstones and as a result fat digestion becomes an issue because one of the yeah. primary things that uh is because uh, like bile is being stored in the gallbladder right and if we don't have a gallbladder we don't have as much bile to access right so that's where I'm like, okay, specifically, we need enzymes that which have like lipases. Lipase is the enzyme that you need to be taking. So that actually can be taken in the form. I, lo I love to prescribe, or sorry, not prescribe, recommend that they take <laughs> ox bile. Okay. Yeah. It is a supplement uh, with the meals that contain fats. Because mm -hmm. so that's going to help emulsify the fats for the body to actually break down and to absorb. Versus if a client has uh, a history of, you know, like pancreatic uh, dysfunction or a bunch of other like pancreatic diseases, like if they have, um, I find cystic fibrosis affects your uh, pancreas or um, even like pancreatic cancer, if they've, or if they've had to have a section of their pancreas removed. Again, mm -hmm. this is where I'm, I am collaborating with other professionals as well, right? Like I know my limitations, my scope of practice, I'm really hammering this home throughout the entirety of this chat here, but um mm -hmm you can take pancreatic enzymes as well exogenously too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like we've done a great job of kind of covering a lot of different things today. 
Um, is there anything else you want to touch on before we wrap this up? Yeah. Um, like you and I talked a lot about like, uh, more severe cases of Mm -hmm. uh, gut dysfunction, but if I were to talk about here, just a few basic things like that people just need to keep in mind, like, Mm -hmm. uh, do not be afraid. And I encourage you to diversify different forms of food intake every couple weeks. So like with my clients, like I have, I get, there's a list in their welcome pack they get with working with me where they can pick several different sources. And I recommend they switch out different produce, different proteins, uh, different carbs they can digest. Being aware and conscientious of what foods you breathe to and do not. That's where the food journaling comes into play. Mm -hmm. Uh, Even small things like eating smaller bites and chewing like 10 to 20 times before you swallow to reduce strain onto uh, your esophagus on your organs and trying to break something down right Mm -hmm. just small little things like that stress management is going to be key Mm -hmm. uh i think that's yeah i think that's why uh, asian people use chopsticks just just, just smaller intakes right yeah uh, chopsticks i use i like to use chopsticks or baby cutlery i use small cutlery uh in my (laughs) uh lunchbox uh when i go to work at the gym uh yeah baby baby food too i guess pre-digested I mean, if you're eh, only if you're having an acute bout of inflammation, then you want to have easy digestible forms. That's I think that's the last thing I'd probably say is if you are in that acute inflammatory state and you still need to get those nutrients in you, mm-hmm. like as many kind of not pre-digested but pre-broken down foods as possible. Ground yeah. beef soup. If in acute states, I love bone broth as mm-hmm. well to get that protein in. Mm-hmm. It is super easy to absorb and digest, and I've never had a client have any issues uh, with that. So, so bone broth, I, I agree with you. It's like a great source of heat, digest, or I guess gut-friendly um, nutrients. But with a lot of people, they don't have the time to make their own. Like, do you have any recommendations for different sources they can buy, or what's your your take on that? Oh yeah, no, I I never rec- uh, uh, expect my clients to make their home bone broth. Uh, I'm a huge fan of the of the brand Paleo Valley. Mm-hmm. Um, they talk about it on the Mind Pump podcast all the time. Uh, yeah. That's usually the main one that I'd recommend. Do they do they sell in Canada? They ship to Canada. They ship to Canada. Okay, gotcha. Yep. Um, okay, I want to I want to finish before we wrap this up. I want to talk about inflammation. We did discuss this a little bit at the start of the conversation, how it's kind of such a big buzzword in our industry, mm-hmm. and it's very misunderstood. Obviously, we need to have some level of inflammation to make adaptations to the body. It's healthy. It's normal. Um, but in terms of the gut stuff, um, what, I guess, how does someone like test for inflammation in the gut? Test for it? Because everyone says, like, let's say that they, it's just very very common these days to say someone for someone to say uh, that my gut feels inflamed like mm-hmm. like how do we objectively measure inflammation in the gut uh well objectively this can be like i said either with well that full spectrum test can show you literally the specific level of inflammation according to what food that you eat but mm-hmm. then otherwise it's going to be very subjective in in uh and it's in nature so depending on what you eat so it's it's a I mean test like of... I mean like like an objective measure like do we have some blood tests we can take like a CRP test oh, CRP or... is one um and also uh IgG IgE markers mm-hmm. so those tend to uh come up quite a bit as mm-hmm. well and that that's specifically what these full spectrum food intolerance tests show uh but a CRP I would say those are in the more severe cases though yeah. CRP is more of a, on on a systemic level mm-hmm. versus the smaller levels of inflammation that's more localized to the gi tract and to the gut lining mm-hmm. does that make sense yeah for sure because i'm when you're taking a blood sample it's, it's being drawn from the arteries the veins from more systemic circulation so it's not a true representation of exactly what's happening in the gut but if you have yeah. someone with like a very severe gut issue likely there's going to be things bleeding from the gut into the bloodstream which can have that elevation in that crp level so yeah, that'd be more if it's like that severe case of like leaky gut dysbiosis, then yeah, it would probably have a higher chance of showing at a more systemic level. 
Mm-hmm. But again, like my my brain and how it works is the more preventative side of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's kind of where it, if you're looking for the microinflammation versus the more systemic inflammation, the blood test and like Western medicine allergy tests should sufficiently show that because mm-hmm. food you're allergic to, not just intolerant to, will show more of a systemic side of inflammation versus yep. the more localized, smaller microinflammation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just had one more question. I just lost it. Give me a second here. I want to see if it comes back. Yes, yes. We're both exercise professionals here, so we're trainers. Um, If someone is having gut issues, what should we do around training to maybe help kind of bring down some of that stress? What are your recommendations for clients in terms of exercise prescriptions? Yeah, I would definitely moderate uh a few things so number of times you exercise a week so if they're coming to me working out five six days a week and they're showing pretty severe signs of inflammation i might bring that down to like three to four days a week mm-hmm. and then maybe uh exercise duration so instead of like working out 90 minutes maybe just like 45 to 60 minutes um reducing volume for a little bit reducing uh like overall intensity mm-hmm. um and maybe increasing like rest times yeah, yeah, makes sense. Just de- decreasing the total systemic fatigue to allow the gut to kind of put more of the resources of the body towards healing the gut, right? Well, and also that direct connection, right, between the central nervous system and your gut, yeah. right? That like your body, I remind my clients this all the time, your body measures all forms of stress as equal, whether it be self-induced due to exercise mm-hmm. or not. So that's controller controllables when it comes to levels of stress to the body because it's like you're it's like you're balancing a bank account, right? Mm-hmm. Any form of stress is going to be a withdrawal on your bank account. So if you're having already lots of withdrawals being taken on that stress bank account from those inflammations from that disbalance of the gut, whether it be due to IBS, IBD, dysbiosis, etc., or SIBO, mm-hmm. uh, then we might need to use our uh, resources to focus on okay what stress can we at least reduce and reducing uh focusing on those areas with the exercise that i mentioned is definitely uh something that we can do awesome okay and i something another topic came to mind um so in the kind of the naturopath industry it's very common for people to talk about things like biofilm disruptors binders are those are, are those concepts that you're familiar with uh, no, actually, I've never heard of these. Feel free to enlighten me. Okay. Well, I'm not an expert in this by any means, but I've worked with kind of people in the past. Um, so what can happen, and they've explained it to me this way, what can happen is over time, if you're having gut dysregulation, some of these bad bacteria can colonize and they create something called the biofilm where the, the bacteria becomes protected. So if you're doing some sort of like health phase where you're trying to restore your gut function you have to take these biofilm disruptors to help break up these films to essentially clear out the the bad bacteria they'll also include things like binders that are things like um charcoal um bentonite clay uh, what's the other one sarcoma what's the the yeast bacteria sarco you probably know it but i can't say it it's a I can, yeah, it doesn't matter. But anyways, they they recommend taking these things. But in your experience, are these things necessary to get someone back to normal gut functioning? Uh, to be honest, um, I have never seen these prescribed personally. I've heard of charcoal mm-hmm. having benefits, but I don't know enough to comment on yeah. it. Again, like I said, I am still I still consider myself a student when it comes mm-hmm. to gut health realm, and I I collaborate with people in terms of like. Uh, getting more advice on how to implement uh, like facts like this. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And I, I tend to not make a post specifically publicly about specific protocols when it comes to health and hormone function like I talk about in my bio until mm-hmm. I've implemented either myself or on a client numerous times and seen like a constant high trend of efficacy because mm-hmm. I, I would much rather know like specifically something shit that works constantly over time then just talk about a general concept. I'm just starting to learn just for the sake of trying to sound smart. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Well, that's that's very common nowadays, right? You have the person that's been a trainer for six months. They watch a video and then they make a post about what they just listened to, just some parodying what whatever their favorite influencer said, and they have no experience with it. No, exactly, and that's why I I highly encourage that anybody who's trying to vet out a uh, coach, whether it be nutrition or training, mm-hmm. not only their certification, but how long they've been doing it and how many people they've actually worked with, mm-hmm. and how many people they've actually like gotten results with as well. Yeah, hundred percent. Because like the most essential knowledge, in my opinion, is the applied knowledge and the actual like use of it. And like, if there's anything I've learned from nursing school and working Western medicine is like the textbook, you, if you, you can't, the best nurses I've worked with didn't necessarily test well at nursing school. The most intelligent nurses and doctors I've worked with are the ones that are able to actually apply the information to mm-hmm. each individual unique patient slash client. Yeah, it's more of the, the problem solving than it is like the memorization of, of facts and knowledge. Yeah. And like adjusting and adjusting with things on the fly. Sometimes you might have to go a little bit off textbook. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Where can people find you if they're interested in coaching? Yeah, absolutely. So um, my Instagram is uh, Mm -hmm. Um, dev.divinewellness. Dev.divine underscore wellness. And then um, my email is uh, dev, so D-E-V uh dot wellness m g m t at gmail.com they can also just shoot me a dm on instagram mm-hmm. uh my full name devia flukiger will be listed here you can always also find me on facebook i'm always looking at my facebook dms as well awesome well thank you very much for your time i really appreciate it it was awesome speaking to you your wealth of knowledge in terms of all aspects of health and anyone that has any digestive related issues i'd highly recommend you reach out to devia Thanks, Matt. I much appreciate uh, your time as well. No worries.